Okay, good afternoon, everyone. If you have a Bible with you, you could be turning to the book of Habakkuk. In the Old Testament, that's Habakkuk. You are forgiven if you find it tricky to find. Um, I have a couple of suggestions for you. Just use an app on your phone. That makes it easier. Uh, Turn to the contents page. Nothing wrong with that in the Bible. You can turn to the contents page. Find what page number it is. Or you could find the beginning of the New Testament, which is Matthew, and work backwards. And you'll go past Malachi and Zechariah and Zephaniah and Haggai. And then you get to Habakkuk or Habakkuk, if you're American. Uh, We're going to spend some time in Habakkuk. I've actually uh, preached on Habakkuk before, but it was eight years ago. And I figured not all of you would have been here eight years ago. And so it was okay to go back there. Um, We're going to spend some time with uh, Habakkuk, both this side of Christmas and just into the new year as well, on a couple of occasions, and get that started today. And I'm going to read uh, the whole of chapter one and the first verse of chapter two. That's what we'll look at this morning. And of course, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, you can look on the screen and follow it there. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophets, received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you've appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then... Do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made 
Men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them with hooks. He catches them in his nets. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his nets and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his nets he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his nets, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk is one of the so-called minor prophets. That's how I uh, perceived it. That's how we know of this group of, of prophets in the Old Testament. But minor in English now, it's not that helpful. It's, it suggests there's other prophets that are more important. There are the major prophets. If you really want to think about what the prophets said to God's people before Jesus came, then go to Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, because they're major. If you've got time, maybe one day, go to the minor prophet for a little bit of extra reading. It's like... If you've got something seriously wrong with you, all of a sudden you go to A&E. If you've got a minor injury, you go to the minor injuries unit. Oh, it's nothing much. You'll be all right. It's just a slight graze, really. Uh, it's not that important. It doesn't mean that. These aren't minor prophets in the sense of being less important. It's just a way of saying their message was a bit shorter. But actually, the the Jews didn't regard them as minor prophets. The Jews thought of them as the book of the twelve. And now that's got a bit more of a helpful ring about it. There are these twelve prophetic voices speaking into the life of God's people before Jesus came. The book of the twelve. We're looking at number eight. We're looking at Habakkuk. And we're going to look at chapter one uh, today. And, and Habakkuk is in himself a little bit unusual. Because often, what the prophets were doing when they wrote down their books was sharing their message to the people. In other words, what the prophet would do would, would, would be to steal away and spend time with God alone, seeking Him, spending time with Him, as it were, embracing God. And then they would come with a message to the people, and they'd get the attention of the people... And, and they'd say, you remember God? you remember that God who rescued us out of Egypt? you remember that God who's made a covenant with us? Have you drifted from him? Are you being faithful to him? He made a covenant with you, do you remember? Come back to God, you've been drifting away. So there's a sense of challenge and confrontation. Often when you read the prophets, that's what's happening. Sometimes the prophet would speak to the king. Elijah would speak to the king, King Ahab. He'd say, you've drifted from God. It's not going to rain now for, until I say so. Because God's trying to get your attention, king. And you think of Jeremiah. He didn't have an easy time of it. He challenged the people of God. And, and he did not experience uh, an easy life as a result. You think of John the Baptist. Challenging the people. Loads of a revival. He dared to challenge the king and lost his head as a result. So when a prophet was sharing what God was saying to the nation, he was taking his own life in his hands. 
This is risky business, but to challenge a nation to be faithful to the covenant. That's often what's happening. With Habakkuk, it's a bit the other way around. He's spending time with the people. He's, he's seeing the nation. He's seeing what life is like. And then, he goes to the Lord. He steals away in private to spend time with God to say, God, do you remember that covenant that you made? Do you remember your people? Are you being faithful to your word? Are you being faithful to your promises? And so rather than the challenge going to the people, Habakkuk is taking his own life in his hands by turning to the Almighty to challenge the Almighty. He is bringing a complaint to God. Are you, are you being faithful to your promises, Lord? This is what's going on. This is the trouble that I'm seeing. This is what's happening in the nation. Do you remember? Have you drifted away? Are you going to reject us? And he's spending time with the Lord. Now that's a private, personal conversation with God. And partway through the conversation, God says, write it down. Write it down. And it became. We are, we're, we're seeing his personal prayer life made public. And we might think, I hope the Lord doesn't ask me to do that. <laughs> to make, a, make his prayer life uh, public. It's described here, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. An oracle, or literally a burden, his uh, uh, weighty concern. This is no light matter. He's, he's holding something weighty, and he's taking it to the Lord. It is hard. It is painful. And he is lamenting. This is a, this is a sad, it's like a sad song. It's a painful prayer. And he's grieving. He's grieving for the nation. So, oh no. So this once great and united nation is just drifting away from God more and more. It's a, it's a violent nation. The people of God are becoming violent. The people of God are oppressing the poor. The people of God are twisting justice. Oh God! What's going on? Um, this is what's happened to the nation. This is the one moment of light relief today. Um, Santa Paul's is going to represent the nation. Santa Paul's is, is Teddy. It's going to represent... Uh, God's people. I hope that nobody here. Oh, it's been chewed. Um, I should have been careful where I left it after the 9:30. Um, I hope no one here has ever fallen down the stairs from top to bottom, kind of starting at a high point and kind of ending on the floor in the hallway. Well, think of the nation in this way. God's people at a glorious high point after David ruled. Passed on the kingdom to Solomon. And for a while, that was amazing. The kingdom experienced peace. The temple was built. God is being worshipped and glorified. And even 
People from other nations, like the Queen of Sheba, this is the high point of, of kings. The Queen of Sheba comes to Jerusalem to say, I've heard about this wonderful kingdom. I want to find out all about it. She goes to Solomon, I want to find out all about your wisdom. She's shown all of the, the, the wealth and, uh, and the peace and his wisdom and so on. It's, that's the high point. And then Solomon starts to compromise. And it's like a teddy bear just bouncing down the stairs. After Solomon, another king comes and the, the kingdom divides into two. So at this point, I should have two teddy bears. There's, there's the, the northern tribes of Israel. They actually have a different king now at that point. And then the kingdom of Judah stays with Solomon's descendants. Um, uh, and every now and again, there's a good king. And it looks like the nation's going in the right direction. Uh, but then there's another one. And another king who does even the eyes of the Lord. And another nation, another, the whole nation, following in the footsteps uh, of idolatry. And Habakkuk is serving God right at this point here. That's generations ago. David and Solomon, and when the kingdom was great. Now, this is just in the years before the nation is going to go into exile. In actual, actual fact, that's already happened to Israel, and it's just Judah that's left. Uh, but Judah isn't learning the lesson uh, from her sister uh, Israel. So that's the point at which Habakkuk is, is serving God and calling out uh, to him. And he is uh, wanting to live by faith in the midst of dark days. Living by faith is not just something that happens when everything is working out well. Living by faith is not just something for happy moments uh, or for great days. It's not, living by faith isn't all about celebrating all the time. We are to, we're called to live by faith in every season of life. And it might be personally living through a time of grief. Habakkuk was grieving. We don't know what he was experiencing personally. But for some of you, for some of us, it, this will be lived out in personally hard times. Grieving. Chronic pain. Long-term prayers that have not been answered yet. What are we to do? We're to live by faith. And also what Habakkuk... In looking at Habakkuk, it's, it's the same for, for our nation. It's living by faith when a once united, God, more godly nation has just been drifting away from the Lord for years. Maybe every now and again it might appear on some issue or other to be heading in the right direction, but basically the trajectory, the direction, is away from God. Does that sound in any way familiar? I wonder if we could get into a TARDIS, if we could, go, if we could time travel, and if we could go back to the, the late 1940s and the, and the 1950s in this nation, maybe you were there, um, we could find some Christians in the UK passionately calling out to God. God, this nation is headed away from you. This nation is drifting Unless you do something, oh God, this nation is just going to tumble down the stairs. So step in, Lord. 
And uh, apparently for a whole year, in 1959, a great preacher, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, at Westminster Chapel, spent the whole year preaching on the subject of revival. Do you know why he did that? Because it was 100 years since the last one. Okay, so in 1859, there was a great revival in the UK, in Ulster, and in uh, the United States. Impacted so many lives. Society uh, changed dramatically as many people came to God. And here's a man preaching on revival because he was aware this nation needs to turn around. This nation needs God. And we're still in that place, aren't we? A nation that's drifting away from the Lord, drifting away from God. And this informs us. It says, how do we live by faith? How do we pray? How do we pray for a nation? I think Habakkuk can show us. How do we pray in dark times? How do we pray when it's not all happiness and light? How do we pray? And how do we live by faith? One of, there's a few verses in Habakkuk that are more well known and are picked up in the New Testament. One of them is in, in chapter 2, at the end of verse 4. This is repeated three times in the New Testament. It's the final section there, verse 4. But the righteous will live by his faith. That's quoted three times in the New Testament, both in Hebrews and, and by Paul. It's actually just three Hebrew words. Righteous live faith. It's like a key kind of motto uh, that would be returned to in the New Testament for understanding what God has called us to. God has called us to live by faith. By faith in him, not by works. By faith in him, not by fear. So how do we live by faith in dark times? How do we live by faith through chronic illness? How do we live by faith through suffering? Uh, D.A. Carson writes... Uh, all we have to do is, li is live long enough and we will suffer. Well, we're going to need to know how to live through it then, aren't we? How do we live in dark times? How do we complain well? What was Habakkuk doing? He was complaining to God or lamenting. So what do we learn from his example? How do we live by faith in hard times? How do we complain well? Firstly, take it to God. Whatever it is, whatever the nature of the problem, take it to God. We're starting in a very obvious place, but it's very easy to say that. It's very easy also to forget to do it. It's easy to tell my friends. It's easy to post online. It's easy, perhaps for some of us, to write a blog. It's, it's easy to have a rant. It's easy... Uh, to let it spit out somewhere. And it's easy for, to forget to bring that to God. It's, uh, now, talking to other people, talking to friends, is important. If you were being bullied at school or in the workplace, don't keep that to yourself. It would be important to share that with the people who know you and love you and can help you. So that's important. But let's not just take it to God as like the last resort, the last thing we do. If nothing else will fix it, oh, better, um, maybe God. Now, 
Let's make God the first port of call and bring it to him. Habakkuk, to his credit, is doing this. He took it to God. Time and time again, noisily. He took it to God. How long, O Lord, must I call? Must I cry for help? Later on, uh, or, or cry out to you, or shriek out to you. So he's been praying for a long time. He's been persistent in prayer. He's been, he's been bringing it to God. He's been doing that with, with noise, with, with passion. And also, in doing that, in taking it to God, he is also being honest with God. How do we, how do we complain well? Be honest with God. Be honest with God about the problem. Be honest with God about what you see. What is getting to you. What Habakkuk does is, is describe it with lots of different words. He says, I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. He's being honest with God about the nature of the problem as he sees it. Actually, the problem goes beyond that. And he says, therefore, the law, he's talking about the law of God, because back then there wouldn't have been a distinction between the law of the land and God's word. It was all the same. So saying, the law, your law, O oh God, is, is, is not just restricted, it's paralyzed. It cannot move. It's not achieving anything. It's not just that justice is hit and miss. Sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Justice never prevails. It's not just that the righteous are a bit outnumbered. They're in the minority now. It's the wicked are hemming them in. And then it's not just that, uh, like I say, justice is... is it's hit and miss. Justice is twisted. Justice is perverted. You, could, you can appeal to the person in charge. They can hear all the evidence, but what their, their decision is, is a twisted version of justice. There's no point appealing to those in charge even. Well, no wonder then he took it to God. Where else could he take it? He's got laws. Unless you break in, we're, we're hemmed in. Your people are becoming more and more violent. Your people are becoming more and more unjust. Your people are oppressing the poor. Your, your people are drifting away from the Lord. It's, it's desperate if the people of God themselves drift away from God. So he's being honest with, the, with, with God about the nature of the problem. He's being honest with God about his questions. And, and here are the questions that we have. These are the questions that we want to ask God. In dark times, or in times of suffering, like Habakkuk, we want to say, how long? How long, O Lord? And behind the question, how long, we're saying, I've got my limits, Lord. I'm not sure how much longer I can go with this. This is, it's not just getting me down, this is grinding me down. I've got nothing left, Lord. How how long? And also, another question that Habakkuk asks, and we all often want to, 
is why. Why? This is what Habakkuk says. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you make me look at injustice? I don't want to look at it anymore, Lord. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why are you idle? Why why aren't you doing something? And behind the question why, we're saying to God, I need some reasons. I need to understand this. You've got to to explain this to me. What's, What's the point? What was the purpose of this? Why have we had to go through this? Why am I still feeling like that? We ask those questions. Why? Now, faith in God should enable us to do this, to wrestle with him. Jacob spent a night wrestling with God. I'm not going to let go of you. Faith should enable us to lament. What is a lament? This isn't the only one. There's loads in the Bible. You read the Psalms. It's there to equip us. Yeah, to give thanks and to be happy and to celebrate, but they're there to equip us so that in life, when we're up against it, we, we, we know how to pray. And a lament is, here's the problem, God. Will you help? Faith enables us, should enable us, to wrestle with God, to bring things before him. If, if we are wrestling with some issues, but we think, oh, what's the point in praying? Then we've not understood that God is sovereign. You know, I, I know the right answer. I know what you're about to say. You're going to tell me that God's in control. You're going to tell me that God's sovereign. Okay. That's the right thing to say that I believe. But if we actually believe it, we will bring things before him in prayer. Rather than, oh, well, God's in control, isn't he? If that leads me not to pray, I have not understood that God is in control. And I might be in danger of becoming an unbeliever. Because <laughs> I'm no longer believing who he is. And I can come to him in, in that way. Sometimes it can be taken on a little bit, stated in a way that's just perhaps a bit glib. I've said, be honest with God. Some might say, it's okay to be angry with God. Be careful. Habakkuk turns to the Almighty with a complaint. It's okay to be angry with God. I'm not sure. Others take it a little bit further and say, I needed to come to a place where I forgave God. No, you didn't. You are becoming an unbeliever or you're becoming a blasphemer if we are accusing God of wrong or saying that we need to forgive him. No. But the word of God enables us to lament. The word of God equips us to bring complaints before him. Notice this is where Habakkuk starts. We're going to go through the other chapters. We'll see it's not where he finished. Sometimes we've just got to start where we are. God, what are you playing at? What's going on? Why has this happened? 
Why have you not intervened yet? Why do you seem silent? Let's allow that to come through when it needs to. But let's also avoid prescribing the answer. We liked doing this, and we don't notice when we're doing it, but sometimes when we pray, we're saying, God, here's the problem, and if you would provide this solution, I will still be able to live by faith. So what you have to do is that I thought about it, and if you were just to do this, I think we'd be all right. I think there'll be a way through. Go for it, Lord. Um, and we, we kind of, we tell the Lord what should happen next. And perhaps Habakkuk is doing this when he says, oh, how long, O Lord, must I cry out to you violence, but you do not save. He, thinks, he has in mind, God, bring a day of salvation. The nation is tumbling down the staircase, intervene and just lift it all the way back up. Then everything will be fine in a moment. Bingo. Awesome. Wonderful. Sorted. Oh, glorious. Now, let's pray. Let's ask God. Let's expect of him big impact moments where he suddenly intervenes. Everything's different. Let's also be aware that sometimes he chooses to work in a different way. And he is answering our prayers. And he is hearing us. But he'll have a different timing. And he'll have different methods. God does answer Habakkuk. But sometimes, sometimes when people are bringing a complaint to him, God answers with a question. So Job had a complaint. If only somebody could go between me and God. If only the Lord would answer. Because he'd suffered. And then the Lord answers. He'd spoken to his friends about it for some time, or rather they'd spoken at him. And then a time comes, after some time, when God speaks to Job and God answers him. And what's his answer? Where were you? It's a question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Uh, I haven't suffered much. I, haven't, but I can think of an occasion of wrestling with God, and this happened in a really irritating way. I, think, I, I was bringing a request before the Lord, which was something along the lines of, Lord, I want to know that you'll be there. Will your presence go with me? I'm not sure if I feel confident. Are you saying I should do that? I wanted to guarantee, Lord, you'll be there. And the Lord answered me. It wasn't an audible voice, but I, it was quite a profound moment because I thought, this isn't me thinking this. I expressed the question, having thought for a while, what do I actually want to say? And I just heard the Lord say, will you call on me? Oh, no. It's just like, checkmate, of course he's going to be there. Of course his presence is going to be there. Will I call on him? Will I come to him? The Lord had me. Here in Habakkuk, God's answer 
Oh, goodness. God's answer is actually a different, is to a different question. I don't think he answers the question, how long? Six weeks. Habakkuk. Don't worry. 70 years. Hold on. No, he didn't, he didn't answer that question. Did he answer the question, why? I'm not sure he answered that one either. I think he answered the question, what are you doing, Lord? And then he said, this is what I'm doing. He has been listening all the time. And now he says, look at the nations and watch. Why do you make me look at injustice? Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians. This was not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. The problem was violence. The problem was conflict. The problem was injustice. I'm raising up a dreaded and impetuous people. They come bent on violence. Their military strategy is to sweep through. If you try and hide in your city, they build an earthen ramp and come in. They're not about to have a summit with you. You can't appeal to them to be kind of mild-mannered. They're coming to destroy. They're on the way. I'm raising them up. Sorry, Lord. No, 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 that's not the answer. That's the problem. The problem is violence. And the answer is more violence. Sometimes we, we call on the Lord for something and the situation seems to get worse. God, what? From Habakkuk's point of view, it, the, the nature of the problem in a way has then totally changed. God, why aren't you doing anything? Don't do that. What are you playing at? Lord, you're so passive. Lord, you're too active. It's like kind of Goldilocks in the porridge. Oh, that's a bit too cold. Oh, that's a bit too hot. So from our point of view, God's saying, look, God is saying, I am doing something. I am at work. And I am in the process of answering your prayers. And there will be a day of salvation. And this amazing king that you're wanting will actually come. Though it may take a little bit of time to bring it about. How else do we live by faith in dark times? Two more things. Fourthly, find solid ground. How does Habakkuk respond to God's answer being even worse than his question? Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, We must first remind ourselves of those things of which we are absolutely certain, things which are entirely beyond doubt. Write them down and say to yourself, in this terrible and perplexing situation in which I find myself, here at least is solid ground. This is what Habakkuk does when he complains again. He doesn't just start with the problem. He says, oh Lord, oh Yahweh, oh faithful one. We've had that emphasized this morning in worship. He's faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, you are the faithful Lord. You make covenant, you keep covenant, you care. Are you not from everlasting? The Babylonians have been raised up from nowhere. No one even knew who they were a few years ago. They weren't ripping up any trees. Now they're this dreaded and fearful people. 
fearsome. But you, Lord, you are from everlasting. He says, my God, my holy one, O Lord, faithful one, O rock, you're reliable. The nation is in dire straits. Everything's up and down. My mood fluctuates by the moment. I don't know what's going on. But you, Lord, are the rock. You're dependable. You don't change. You're from everlasting. You haven't just been overseeing one generation all the way through. You laid the foundations of the world. And you know what's happening right now. And you know how the whole of the universe will conclude. Everything is in your hands. This is the one to whom I'm praying. This is the solid ground I'm resting on. There's not much solid ground in circumstance. There's not much solid ground in the nation. But in the character of God, there are things that are true that I know to be true. And it's on that that I can take my stand. When I pray, when I complain, I at least remind myself who I'm complaining to. The Lord. The faithful one. The holy one. Find Solid ground. He finds that and then he can start to reason it through. Okay, Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You haven't appointed them to wipe us off the map. You're not abandoning us. This is not destruction. This is not the end. So there must be positive purpose that will be achieved in the longer term. You're not rejecting us, Lord. We will not die. He still has a question to ask. But at least now he's found some solid ground. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked uh, swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He still has a question. Why do the wicked get away with this? How can you raise up people and use them even though they are more ungodly than the people of God that are being punished by them. How, how can you do that? How can you tolerate that? What's going on? He still has a question, but note this, fifthly, how do we live by faith in dark times? How do we complain well? Habakkuk then watches and waits. I will stand at my watch, beginning of chapter 2, and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. In other words, it is right to persevere in prayer. It is right to bring complaint towards the Lord. It is right to keep bringing it to his attention. Remember Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. And Jesus told a story and said, you remember that there's a judge, he doesn't fear God and he doesn't care for people. And this widow brought her complaint to him, cried out day and night. And Jesus is saying, it's not that God is uncaring. How much more if that judge actually gave her justice in the end? How much more then will our Heavenly Father, who is good and is right and just, how much more will, will he see that you get justice in the end? So it encourages persistent prayer. So that's good. That's right. Let's do it. But I don't know that we can be praying every day. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? How long? How long? This is the problem. This is the problem. 
I'm not even sure that we can sustain it. There are seasons for that. And there are also seasons for watching and waiting and trusting, even if the answer doesn't come straight away, that it will come in the end. That he will bring it about. That in itself is an example of faith. I know God has heard me. And I know that he will answer. At some point, even if I have to live just normal daily life without it having been delivered to me just yet. That's faith. That's believing God. I pray because I believe he hears. I pray because I believe he answers. And I may have to wait a long time. I may have to wait a medium amount of time. Or maybe it will happen this afternoon. Oh, okay. I've received an answer. And that might be through, through scripture, might be in conversation, might be a God-given dream. Who knows how the answer comes? Maybe in glory. I did have that question, didn't I, Lord? Yes. But that is, that's living by faith. I believe God. I believe he will answer me. I believe that he does answer me. And I believe, even with the questions that are still left remaining, he is holy and faithful and is about a good work in me, in you, and in a nation that's bouncing down the staircase. My prayer, my hope, is that this encourages and helps you to lament, not just celebrate. The Word of God helps us. The Word of God is not to have us believe that everything is rosy. The Word of God equips us when life doesn't make sense. The Word of God equips us to pray when it's painful to. This is where he starts. Next time, we'll see Habakkuk listening before we move on to chapter 3. Next time, it'll be Habakkuk listening. Right this time, it's Habakkuk complaining. I pray that the Lord would equip you and help you if that's what you need to do today. Or you would just be reminded of it and equipped when the time comes, because it probably will. Let's pray now, and then we'll worship God.